Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 57 is entitled, Self-Reliance, Concept 4, Faith in Self. I have selected 10 concepts from Ralph Aldo Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance. Each concept expands the virtues and variations of self-reliance or warns of the vices of the ways we forfeit self-reliance. Concept 1. Blind Obedience Concept 2. False Charity Concept 3. Truth Concept 4. Faith Concept 5. Nonconformist Concept 6. To Thine Own Self Be True Concept 7. Self-reliance. Concept 8. Character. Concept 9. God. Concept 10. Solitude. Obviously, there is overlap in the 10 concepts. For example, concept 7, self-reliance, subsumes all other concepts. It is also clear that faith in self is a primary component of self-reliance. Like synonyms, each is both a repetition and a variation on the theme. In these 10 podcasts, Though I may repeat certain quotes from Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance for Emphasis, I also wish to highlight the variation, thus expanding the theme and pointing out the nuance of each concept. In this podcast, we shall focus on concept four, faith in self. To believe your own thought, to believe that what is true for you in your private heart is true for all men, that is genius. Speak your latent conviction and it shall be the universal sense, for the inmost in due time becomes the outmost, and our first thought is rendered back to us by the trumpets of the last judgment. Consider faith as a three-legged stool. For the stool to stand, it must have all three legs. So it is with liberty. There are three levels of faith necessary to sustain liberty in our democratic republic. The loss of any level or leg will cause our liberty to fall. Number one is faith in God, which is addressed in concept nine. Number two is faith in self. Number three is faith in others. Self-reliance depends upon the perfect balance of all three levels of faith. However, in this podcast, we shall focus primarily on faith in self. Faith in self, otherwise referred to as self-reliance, is essential to a democratic republic, or it will turn into a socialist state. People who seek power prey on those who seek guaranteed security. Democracy requires self-reliance, courage, faith, endurance, patience, preparation, hard work, accountability, and individual responsibility. As Emerson said, it may be safely trusted as proportionate and of good issues, so it be faithfully imparted. But God will not have his work made manifest by cowards, The possibility of failure is inherent in self-reliance. Only through opposition can growth occur. It is a law of nature. When citizens start looking to government for entitlements, handouts, bailouts, parity, special privileges, and guaranteed equity, 
then it spells the end of democracy and the beginning of totalitarianism. The few rule the many. Democracy is built upon the idea so eloquently set forth by Lincoln in his Gettysburg Address. Government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The right to succeed comes with the right to fail. Faith in others makes a free market possible. We are all children of God and come to earth with special gifts. We may call them talents. In the eyes of God, we are all equal. It is the order of heaven. However, because we have free will, freedom, liberty, and agency, we have enormous diversity. Diversity of gifts is also essential to a free market system. Diversity in wealth. Diversity in talent. Diversity in skills. Diversity in desires. Diversity in profession. Diversity in education. Diversity is necessary in a free government. People must be able to choose their own paths and take their own risks. Government-created equality leads to tyranny and bondage. Faith in God is the first principle of Christianity. It is the first principle of freedom. It is at the heart of free will, freedom, agency, and liberty. However, referring to faith in self, Emerson said, In every work of genius, we recognize our own rejected thoughts. They come back to us with a certain alienated majesty. Great works of art have no more affecting lesson for us than this. They teach us to abide by our spontaneous impression with good-humored inflexibility, then most when the whole cry of voices is on the other side. Else tomorrow a stranger will say with masterly good sense precisely what we have thought and felt all the time, and we shall be forced to take with shame our own opinion from another. There is a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that envy is ignorance, that imitation is suicide, that he must take himself for better, for worse, as his portion, that though the wide universe is full of good, no kernel of nourishing corn can come to him, but through his toil bestowed on the plot of ground which is given to him to till. The power which resides in him is new to nature, and none but he knows what that is which he can do, nor does he know until he has tried. Not for nothing one face, one character, one fact make much impression on him, and another none. Today our government is leaning towards socialism in which they put down the individual person and elevate the government. Emerson put it this way, you will always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it. Emerson counsels, Trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Accept the place the divine providence has found for you, the society of your contemporaries, the connection of events. Great men have always done so and confided themselves childlike to the genius of their age betraying their perception that the absolute trustworthy was seated at their heart, working through their hands, predominating in all their being. And we are now men and must accept in the highest mind the same transcendent destiny, and not minors and invalids in a protected corner, not cowards fleeing before a revolution, but guides, redeemers, and benefactors, 
obeying the almighty effort and advancing on chaos and the dark. Emerson wrote that society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of its members. He counseled us to avoid putting our faith in government, money, or material things. And so the reliance on property, including the reliance on governments which protect it, is the want of self-reliance. Men have looked away from themselves and at things so long that they have come to esteem the religious, learned, and civil institutions as guards of property. And they deprecate assaults on these because they feel them to be assaults on property. They measure their esteem of each other by what each has and not by what each is. Emerson echoes the Savior's words on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew six nineteen through 21 Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Emerson puts it this way. But a cultivated man becomes ashamed of his property, out of new respect for his nature. Especially he hates what he has, if he sees that it is accidental came to him by inheritance or gift or crime. Then he feels that it is not having, it does not belong to him, has no root in him, and merely lies there, because no revolution or no robber takes it away. But that which a man is does always by necessity acquire, and what the man acquires is living property which does not wait the beck of rulers, or mobs, or revolutions, or fire, or storm, or bankruptcies, but perpetually renews itself wherever the man breathes. Thy lot or portion of life, said the Caliph Ali, is seeking after thee. Therefore be at rest from seeking after it. To acquire living property, Emerson advises us to look inside our own heart rather than to look outside or elsewhere. He who knows that power is inborn, that he is weak because he has looked for good out of him and elsewhere, and so perceiving, throws himself unhesitatingly on his thought, instantly writes himself, stands in the erect position, commands his limbs, works miracles just as a man who stands on his feet is stronger than a man who stands on his head. But Emerson is a pragmatist. He rejects magic or luck or serendipity of circumstances. He believes in natural law. To Emerson, everything, temporal or spiritual, is governed by law, which he calls the chancellors of God. And if we want to achieve anything, we must obey the applicable laws. So use all that is called fortune. Most men gamble with her and gain all and lose all as her will rolls. But do thou leave as unlawful these winnings and deal with cause and effect, the chancellors of God. In the will work and acquire, and thou hast chained the will of chance and shall sit hereafter out of fear from her rotations. A political victory, 
a raise of rents, the recovery of your sick, or the return of your absent friend, or some other favorable event raises your spirits, and you think good days are preparing for you. Do not believe it. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but the triumph of principles. I love the assertion, nothing can bring your peace but the triumph of principles. Principles refer to natural and moral laws, standards, self-evident truths, righteousness, honesty, integrity, honor, decency, constancy, justice, virtue, order, essential qualities, and reason. Emerson saw self-trust as a godlike quality. And truly, it demands something godlike in him who has cast off the common motives of humanity and has ventured to trust himself for a taskmaster. High be his heart, faithful his will, clear his sight, that he may in good earnest be doctrine, society, law to himself, that a simple purpose may be to him as strong as iron necessity is to others. Emerson trusted in personal revelation or inspiration or intuition, what Christians sometimes refer to as the still small voice. A man should learn to detect and watch that gleam of light that flashes across his mind from within, more than the luster of the firmament of bards and sages. Yet he dismisses without notice his thought because it is his. Emerson's counsel is to trust your own instinct. Emerson declares that it is God alone who gave us those gifts, and God alone who can teach us of those gifts. Insist on yourself. Never imitate. Your own gift you can present every moment with the cumulative force of a whole life's cultivation. But of the adopted talent of another, you have only an extemporaneous half-possession. That which each can do best, none but his maker can teach him. No man yet knows what it is, nor can, till that person has exhibited it. Abide in the simple and noble regions of thy life. Obey thy heart, and thou shalt reproduce the foreworld again. Ralph Waldo Emerson understood the necessity of knowing what he called our aboriginal self. The magnetism which all original action exerts is explained when we inquire the reason of self-trust. Who is the trustee? What is the aboriginal self on which a universal reliance may be grounded? What is the nature and power of that science-baffling star without parallax, without calculable elements, which shoots a ray of beauty even into trivial and impure actions, if the least mark of independence appear. The inquiry leads us to the source, at once the essence of genius, of virtue, and of life, which we call spontaneity or instinct. We denote this primary wisdom as intuition, whilst all later teachings are tuitions. In that deep force, the last fact behind which analysis cannot go, all things find their common origin. For the sense of being, which in calm hours rises, we know not how, in the soul, is not diverse from things, from space, from light, from time, from man, 
but one with them and proceeds obviously from the same source whence their life and being also proceed. To fully appreciate Emerson's analogy, we need to understand parallax. Quoting from Space.com, Parallax is the observed displacement of an object caused by the change of the observer's point of view. Measuring the parallax is the only way astronomers can calculate distances of stars from the Earth. From your point of view, the night sky is two-dimensional. But in reality, space is three-dimensional. Because of parallax, from another point of view, the star appears in another place. For an accurate measurement, the parallax must be calculated. Since the Earth changes positions every six months, scientists can measure the parallax using sophisticated instruments. The calculation of the first star did not occur until 1838 by the German astronomer Frederick Bessel. Two other stars were also measured during Emerson's lifetime. Obviously, that is where Emerson drew his analogy. Since then, with amazing modern technology, a billion stars have been measured using the parallax methods with an astonishing degree of accuracy. Emerson is comparing the aboriginal Seth to a science-baffling star. The aboriginal Seth is the indigenous, native, or original Seth. Our aboriginal Seth is who we really are. Clearly, there is a displacement between our aboriginal Seth and our present or perceived Seth. However, there is no parallax to calculate the position of our true Seth. In other words, it is easier to calculate the position of a star light years away than it is to calculate the distance between our original self and our perceived self, making it seemingly impossible to know our true self. Emerson asks, What is the nature and power of that science-baffling star? Without parallax, without calculable elements, which shoots a ray of beauty even into trivial and impure action, if the least mark of independence appear. Emerson answers his own question. The inquiry leads us to that source, at once the essence of genius, of virtue, and of life, which we call spontaneity or instinct. Emerson added, In that deep force, the life's fact behind which analysis cannot go, all things find their common origin. In other words, you must go beyond that which we are taught to find your true self. Emerson raises a question which creates a paradox. He said, We denote this primary wisdom as intuition whilst all later teachings are tuitions. That which is intuition refers to that which is instinctual. That which is tuition refers to that which is taught. The parallax, or displacement, is between what is instinct, which he calls intuition, which comes from the aboriginal self, and that which he calls tuition, or things taught in books, in society, in culture, in tradition. How do we separate that which we are from that which others tell us we are? How do we separate our instinctual behavior from our learned behavior? How do we find our true self? The answer for Emerson comes from what I presented as attribute number 10, solitude. He said, For the sense of being, which in calm hours rises, we know not how, in the soul, is not diverse from things, from space, from light, from time, from man, but one with them and proceeds obviously from the same source whence their life and being also proceed. For me, that is Emerson's definition of transcendentalism. It transcends everything and becomes one with everything. To find our aboriginal self, our true self, we must reconnect with things, space, light, time, and man, and be one with them. 
Clearly, according to Emerson, some things do not come from books or universities or experience. They are instinctual or spontaneous. They come from our aboriginal self, from our soul. One obvious conclusion we may draw from the above is that we are all unique. There is only one you, and you must never lose track of who you really are. Emerson doesn't want you to be disconnected from your true self. That is at the core of faith in self, isn't it? Knowing who you really are. Who is that you that existed before the patina of the world settled upon you and gave you a painted face? Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.